It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group with financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. The Wise Money Show is brought to you by the attorneys at South Bank Legal, First State Bank, Diane Bennett and the Inspired Homes Team, and Bethel University Adult and Graduate Studies. Welcome to another episode of the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group, where every week we're helping you take your next wise step in your financial life. Thanks so much for being with us. My name is Mike Bernard. I am your host. I'm also one of the certified financial planners on the show. With me today in the KFG studios, Josh Gregory, as always, and then special guest CPA Ryan Fayer. You know, as we approach the holiday season, I have a question for you. Do you have a plan for your charitable giving? If not, I'm sure there are all kinds of organizations that would love to propose a plan for you. Instead, today, we want to share an advanced financial planning concept or a tool with you that could help you be even more proactive in your planning, specifically around charitable giving. On today's episode of Wise Money, we're talking about donor-advised funds and how they may have a place in your financial plan. That's right. You might recognize a theme if you're a regular listener and fan of the Wise Money Show, that a lot of the recent episodes, this one included, have been inspired by fans of the show. So reach out to us. If you have a question, if you have a suggestion, and of course, if you have any needs, you can find us a few different ways. First online, wisemoneyradio.com. You can call or text us, 574-222-2000. That's 574-222-2000. And then all over social media, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, all that sort of stuff, you can reach out to us that way. You can grab content and, of course, share questions, suggestions, all that sort of thing. So, all right. Uh, here's the question then to piggyback on what, what Josh asked. What's your giving strategy? What's your giving strategy? Do you even have one? If you make regular contributions to a nonprofit, then you really should have a giving strategy that fits in your overall financial plan and your tax plan. And likely you don't gift for just the tax benefit, but isn't it prudent to get whatever tax benefit there is for whatever giving you're doing? Yeah, I'm glad you made that comment because most people I know who are regular givers of some kind, maybe there's an organization that they support or they give on a regular basis to their church, they're not giving because of the tax savings, Mm -hmm. right? They're giving because they believe in that organization. There's a mission that's being achieved or some sort of world impact that they're having, and they want to get behind it, either by donating their time or their talents, their treasures, that kind of thing. And uh, tax planning, it's not the, the clear motivation for most people, right? But my attitude is, and I, I encourage this uh, to all our listeners, to all, all my clients as well, that this is about financial control, though, because if, if there's a better way for you to give or a more tax-efficient way for you to give, it means that there's maybe less money that you're sending downstream to Washington or the state house, more money staying in your pocket. And that means potentially more resources or sustained giving that could happen. So in my opinion, it's not about tax planning. It's about keeping control of the money so that you can direct it to the things that matter most to you. I, I had an epiphany early on where I thought, well, if I'm going to try to get the tax benefit, that's me being greedy because I need to get something in or, for giving something. And that's not the case. I don't know, Josh, it was probably you that sort of challenged my thinking in that and shared exactly what you just said, that 
listen, if you're if you're giving and if you're a good steward of resources, well, then get the tax benefit so that you can be a good steward of more resources and less of it goes to the government. Um, I don't know how they're doing on stewardship these days. Okay, so we're uh, we're talking about donor advice on this this idea. We've talked about it a couple times, just just in in chunks. But the whole idea came from a fan of the show, Rick, out in South Carolina, out in Hilton Head. Hope uh, hope everything's going well. And he's he suggested several months ago. So sorry for the delay. That we should spend a whole show devoted to this. We're going to spend uh, this is going to be kind of our headlining topic, and. Um, and so other fans of the show also have said, hey, you've mentioned donor advised funds. I'm hearing those more and more. What are those? How do they work? And why are they important? Before we get into how they work, why are they important? So, I mean, donor advised funds are, are important as, you know, all of the topics that you guys just discussed. There's even a couple of other add-ons that I was going to mention uh, from, the, from the charitable standpoint is this is actually a way to get more funds downstream to the charities as well. Uh, with the donor advised funds, you can, you know, the, the charity can ultimately end up with additional contributions out of the deal that, you know, go above and beyond your personal yeah, tax true. deduction. So, that's true. Um, so what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the, uh, why is it so important these days? And a lot of it stems you, back yep. to donor advised funds weren't created when the tax laws changed right. in 17, but they certainly became more popular. So why is that, right? Right. So yeah, with the new tax law, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act uh, last year that was the first year that they were enacted, the standard deduction changed for everybody. They basically doubled the standard deduction or the amount that each taxpayer is allowed to deduct on their tax return without itemizing. Charitable contributions are one of the main itemized deductions. So prior to the new tax law, the stats that I've, I've seen and heard said about 31% of taxpayers that filed a tax return actually did itemize their deductions, which meant that they can deduct those charitable contributions and get a tax benefit. After the new tax law, that number of taxpayers that do itemize their deductions is down to about 13%. Really? Yeah. So that's a significant dip in the, um, the number of people that are eligible to even itemize their deductions. So then that's what leads us to these additional strategies of looking, okay, if you're not going to typically deduct charitable contributions in a regular year, what can we do to add additional ideas or thoughts and yeah, I'm, I'm glad you're pointing out the, the raising of the standard deduction as maybe a disincentive for some people to be charitably inclined, right. because if you're not going to get a, a tax uh, write-off, then maybe you won't do it. That uh, goes back to, again, what we were talking about at the start of the show, but it was actually a very serious fear that a lot of charities had. Mm -hmm. You know, is, is all their funding going to dry up right. when people no longer get a tax reward for giving? And these donor-advised funds are a way to still get a tax reward and and maybe take advantage of uh, some some creative giving. Yeah. So if you're giving on a regular basis and of course you're paying your state and local taxes and your property taxes and maybe you've got a, a mortgage and you've got mortgage interest or maybe you don't. But when you add those things up, that equals your itemized deduction. And if that list doesn't get to 24,000 every year, then those things really aren't helping you um, it, for a married couple, okay? So, yep. um, but, but what if you add all those things up and it gets to 
20000 every year. You would say, oh, I'm doing some things to get possibly an enhanced tax benefit, and I'm just coming just short. Well, that's where something like a donor advised fund or being intentional with some of these deductions and the timing of them can really, really pay off. If you, if you again, are, are a regular listener of the show, then we've talked about the idea of bunching your mm-hmm. charitable contributions. And the donor advised fund is a way to do that in a way where you retain control and where it doesn't really need to mess up the cash flow of the end organization that you're trying to improve. Yeah, so, so think about that. If you're bunching up your charitable giving, an analogy or, or a, an example would be if you gave to the charity of your choice an entire year's worth of giving in December, and um, you also gave next year's giving in December, right at the end of the year, then it can mess up a charity's cash flow, right? They, they don't really know how to plan. They're getting two years worth of your giving all at once. It can mess them up. Donor Advised Fund is a tool for spreading that out because it's essentially an account that you deposit money into. You get the charitable write-off at the time you make the deposit, but then you get to control as the money is released to the, the charities. So so the, the analogy that I would give is you're aware of the health savings account. We, we've, uh, we've talked about that a lot, where you put money into that account, and when you do that, you get a tax deduction. And then, but then that, that money is yours. That is your account. It's not use or lose it. It's your account. And then you, you can use that money for any, any medical expense, any qualified medical expense. Same thing with the donor advised fund. You make a donation, you make a contribution into that account. That's when you get the deduction and you control that account. You control the timing and where the, the, the money goes. But as long as that goes to a charity or a qualifying 501c3, then yeah. Great. No, no problem. So now that we know a little bit about how it works, there's a couple more details that we're going to share. But now that we know how it works, you need to know when to apply it. And we're going to talk through some of the most common scenarios where now it's got to fit within your overall financial plan. But the most common scenarios when you should really consider using a donor advised fund. So that and more coming up here on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. What's your giving strategy? And does that giving strategy connect with your overall tax planning? And does that overall tax planning fit within your overall financial plan? That's what we're talking about today. We're talking about donor advised funds, how they might fit for you. Thanks for being with us. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. My name is Mike Bernard here with me in the KFG studios to talk about this topic Josh Gregory and CPA Ryan Fair. Thank you to the attorneys at South Bend South Bank Legal, sorry, and First State Bank for making the Wise Money Show possible. Thank you very much. And for more Wise Money content, you can find us online, wisemoneyradio.com, and then all over social media, wherever you're at, we're there too. Just search the Wise Money Show. You'll find our content there. You can submit questions, comments, and so on, and be up to date on everything we push out for the Wise Money Show. Thank you very much. Okay, we're talking about donor-advised funds, how they work, what they are, and we're going to get into a couple scenarios that might apply to you as to, well, when should you use them? But before we do that, 
we left a little meat on the bones as far as how they work. So what else would we add? There was one clarifying comment that uh, that Josh, you wanted to make, right? Yeah, so a, a donor-advised fund is essentially a special tool that allows you to transfer either assets or money into a special investment account where you can uh, receive an upfront charitable deduction for that contribution. Okay, so this is similar to just giving money straight to a charity. You get the same type of a, a write-off for, for doing this. Once the money is in the account, it is technically considered a completed gift. Like the money is no longer technically in your control. But the reason we call it a donor-advised fund is because the organization that's holding that account for you is taking your recommendations on which charities to then gift money out of that pool from. Mm -hmm. And it it may be pretty rare, actually, that they would not actually um, follow your request and Mm -hmm. send the money to the place uh, that that you requested. Generally, the the only times I've ever heard where they don't honor your uh, recommendation is if you're actually sending the money to an organization that is not legally a charity. Right. Right. So they, you know, many of these organizations do that homework for you. They make sure you're not getting yourself into trouble by gifting the money to a non-charity. And you also have influence on how it's invested while the money is in the donor advised fund. That's right. If, If you dump a bunch of money into one of these accounts and you believe that it's going to stay there for an extended period of time and you're going to gift slowly over many years, you get to decide what's happening with the money while it's in that account, how it's invested, that sort of thing. Um, it, it's almost like a, a, another brokerage account, essentially. Mm-hmm. And um, now others may transfer assets into this account, things that are worth a lot of money, and they will be sold inside of the account, and then the proceeds used to fund these charitable gifts as, as well. And this really brings us to one of the great advantages of a donor-advised fund, because if you gift an asset that has a lot of profit built into it, or we would say a capital gain built up, it's the donor-advised fund that does the selling of it. And because this is a charitable entity, they don't pay tax on it, right? Bingo. Yeah, that's one of the primary benefits is, is when you transfer highly appreciated investments or business ownership or, you know, lots of different examples like that into the, yeah, real estate, Mm -hmm. uh, into the donor advised fund, they are able to sell that and not pay the capital gains tax. So there's all kinds of different examples that you can talk about where, uh, you know, very, very charitably minded uh, family, for example, may have real estate. Let's go with that example where, you know, they Grandpa or somewhere along the line, they purchased this real estate for $100,000. Now it's worth a million dollars. If they just go out and sell it, they've got a $900,000 capital gain to pay tax on. If they wanted to donate all or some of that uh, investment to charity at at the end, they can do that contribution now and donate the entire million dollar piece of real estate to the charitable organization, they sell it. That entire million dollars can then go to the end charity, whether that's their church or their, however they want to use it. Yeah, yeah. And it, you might be listening, thinking, "Well, man, I wish I was in that situation where oh, I right. could just give away a million bucks and it would be just fine." Most families aren't able to do that. What's more common is maybe you have 
an investment portfolio that has really run up in value. You, you've got a, a basket of stocks that you've owned for years and years, and they're worth so much more than you bought them for. Uh, I had this example uh, recently. A client came to me because it was, it was for the express purpose of helping her build a charitable giving plan. She knew she had some organizations she wanted to help, and, um, and previously her investment advisor had recommended that she just give $100,000 worth of cash, mm-hmm. and they did that the, the year before I met them. And we showed, boy, that, that is a bummer that we did that because instead, what if you had taken some of this stock portfolio that has run up in value and you will get clobbered with taxes if you go sell this stuff? Instead, what if we shifted some of the individual stocks into a donor advised fund and avoid paying tax, getting clobbered up front, but you still get a tax write-off? Yeah. That's right. So we were able to show her a better way to do her charitable giving. We didn't give away her whole portfolio. We we did all this in the context of a financial plan. We first needed to decide, well, how much is enough for your retirement and what amount is extra that really you could safely give away and, and not fear running out of money or not having a financial legacy to leave behind to your family as well. So before we get into some scenarios... There's limits as to how much you can deduct based on some of the tax rules. And this gets a little sticky as well. So, Ryan, can you not get into all the details? Right. It's hard to, to listen sure. to over the radio. But what are some of the high-level limits people need to be aware of here? Yeah, so a couple of the high-level limits that we're talking about uh, for regular charitable contributions of just you know cash. If somebody's writing a check to their favorite charitable organization, uh, you're allowed to deduct up to 60% of your adjusted gross income for that year. As, and that's how much you're allowed to deduct as an itemized deduction, charitable contribution. So if you're thinking, well, I'm going to use a donor advised fund and I'm going to, I've got some cash, I'm going to write a check into my donor advised fund and I'm going to, it's going to be a large amount, unusual amount. Just know that in this year, even into that donor advised fund, you'll only be able to claim or deduct 60% of that. Yep. And then of your AGI, yeah. But what happens if you give more than that 60%? Mm-hmm. That's the good news is that unused contribution does carry over to future years. So that, you know, you're, it's not gone, the deduction for the excess charitable contributions, but it does carry over to future years. What about other investments? So yeah, a bunch of other investments, highly appreciated uh, stocks, for example, those are capped at 30% of your adjusted gross income. I'm just shaking my head. Yeah. Wasn't it 50? Or it was Everything high. used to be 50, but then they raised part of the new tax law. They raised the 50 up to 60 and then 30 on all the other. Which to me. Yeah. T- took away a little bit of I your planning ability. To, well, yeah, but not, I just I guess I don't, don't understand it. Yeah. Personally, I, I anyway. think the government still wants their slice no, of the pie. No, 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 no. Okay, so let's let's talk about the first scenario. And um, and and what if you've got some? What if you're you're working right now and you're at the late stages of your career and you're making good income and the kids are out of the house, the mortgage is paid off, and you feel like you're working with your certified financial planner and you feel like, hey, I'm. Uh, I, I'm I'm saving enough for my retirement, and I've got these extra resources, and I'm in a high tax bracket. I would consider using a donor advised fund, so that Good. you're getting and you're contributing a large portion into that donor advised fund to get that deduction while your taxes are high because your income's high, and then you can continue to disperse that money into retirement. 
Yeah, yeah, you you hit the nail on the head, Mike. That's when you want to. That's one example of when you want to use these donor advised funds is when you are in the high income years, and you know if retirement's on the, you know on the near future, mm-hmm. you're you're going to be in a lot lower tax bracket. The charitable contribution doesn't do as much for you at that point. So obviously the charity still needs your money, and you still want to give to them. Mm-hmm. But if you make the contribution in the high income years, then you can you know, divvy that money up in the future years to the charity, but you get the deduction now when you're earning a lot. Yeah, when it's really helpful. That that's what that's what I mean. That's what we mean when we talk about a giving strategy that fits in with your tax plan, that fits in with your overall financial plan. A couple other scenarios that we've talked about a little bit. If you have some some assets, some stock that you wanted to gift, um, if you typically donate to the church near the end of the year, or if you have a small business. So we're going to hit each of those scenarios to see if and when a donor-advised fund might make sense. So that and more coming up here on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. What's the best way to manage your finances of your small business? That's an interesting question we got from a fan of the show. We're going to hit that with CPA Ryan Fair here in just a minute. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being with us. My name is Mike Bernard here with me in the KFG studios. Josh Gregory as always and then regular guest CPA Ryan Fair. Thank you to Bethel University Adult and Graduate Studies, as well as Diane Bennett and her Inspired Homes team serving Indiana and Michigan. Thank you very much for making the Wise Money Show possible. I want to remind you, if you're not listening on the YouTube channel, every episode of the Wise Money Show is right there on the YouTube channel, as well as more content, other videos explaining things as well. So if you're not following us there, subscribe to that channel. I'd encourage you to do so. Just search the Wise Money Show on YouTube, subscribe to it, hit that bell notification so that you're made aware of all content that we're sharing that way. Thank you very much. All right, before we transition into questions from fans of the show, let's talk about some ways you might apply the donor advised fund. We left off with one where it's just, hey, you've got some cash, maybe in your, you're in some high tax years. And instead of just giving it all to a charity, maybe you give it into a donor advised fund first when you've got the cash to make sure you get that deduction. That's a different way of bunching as well. So what about that, uh, that example we've talked about of having some highly appreciated security? So Josh, you want to share that one just, again, just so those people that where it might apply, they're aware? Yeah. Um, if, for those of you that are just charitably inclined, you, you're in the pattern of giving to certain organizations. Um, one strategy is to write a check periodically, give them cash. Another strategy that actually maybe enhances some of the tax benefits that you can receive is when you have stock that you bought at a low price and now it's worth a high price, And if you were to sell that investment and harvest cash out of it, the proceeds, um, maybe if you're going to gift some of those proceeds, you would have to first create income on your tax return that you will pay tax on and then hope that you'll get the benefit of a, a tax deduction for giving to the charity. Instead, a better strategy is to just gift the stock itself and let the charity sell it 
because the charity won't get hit with the taxes that you would. Mm -hmm. You still get the same write-off, potentially. Um, Actually higher. Yeah, Yeah. but but the difference is you didn't have to show the income on the other side. And a donor-advised fund is a place where you can transfer that stock, let the donor-advised fund sell it, and then distribute the money to the charity or charities of your choice. So at a, at, a, at a high level, don't get into the details, but Ryan, you mentioned same thing for small business yeah, or real estate. Yeah. So you can actually do the exact same thing with small business stock or, or real estate. So if you've got real estate that you bought a long time ago for a low price and it's gone way up in value and now it's worth a high price, you can do the same thing. You can actually deed it over to the donor advised fund, for example, and now they turn around and resell the property and it totally avoids all of the tax on your tax return and the charity ends up getting the proceeds plus you know the tax that you would have paid yeah. if you sold. When you start getting into real estate or small business stock that sort of thing right. that is some advanced application For of sure. this strategy right i mean there there's attorneys involved with drafting um, you know, agreements and, and right. you got to transfer the stock. Maybe you have to split it. And it doesn't have to be an all or nothing thing right. either. Many people own real estate inside of an LLC. Maybe you're actually transferring a portion of the LLC membership units and, and letting it be sold there. That, that was the eye opener. We had some folks from the National Christian Foundation out to uh, earlier this year to talk through some of these. And they're an organization that has a donor advice fund. What is it? One of the largest, yeah. right? Yeah. And um, and this was eye opener because we see we we meet with um, one of our specialties at KFG because of how we work as we serve a lot of small business owners and a lot of small businesses um, because of our comprehensive approach. And we see people come in and say, "Yeah, I'm about to sell my business," and um, it's not the first thing that they say, but in the conversation they say, "And I plan on donating a you know five percent or maybe ten percent." And it just blew my mind when the folks said, yeah, most business owners sell mm-hmm. and they pay all the tax and then they give. Mm-hmm. They should just give a slice. If it's 5% or 10%, whatever they want, they should give a slice of that business to the donor-advised mm-hmm. fund and then sell. Right. Yeah, so the buyer would be buying most of the stock from you as the small business owner and then a slice of the stock from the donor-advised fund, yep. essentially. So it's a, a little bit more complicated transaction that's happening. But at that point, when you're selling a business, it's already complicated, right? right? right. You the already attorney. have attorneys involved yeah. and CPAs and financial advisors. So um, you know, adding just a little bit of additional complexity to save a ton of taxes, I'm just a fan of that. Yeah. We're always looking for those mm-hmm. types of ideas. So then the next step. If you want to learn more about a donor advised fund, whether it fits in your situation, I'm going to state it again. What's your giving strategy that fits with your tax plan, that fits with your financial plan? That's that's really the process. And so how do you get started? Start with your financial planner. Make sure they're working with your CPA to develop a tax plan. And then through that, start working on a giving plan. So all of this, the root of it's in your financial plan, okay? So if you're interested in this or think it might apply or wondering how it might apply, contact your certified financial planner to get started. So, And make sure they're doing comprehensive financial planning. Make sure that they're collaborating with your CPA to give great, wise tax advice as well. 
Speaking of, let's transition to questions from fans of the show. We've got several, actually, I, I didn't realize that these were all connected to taxes when Ryan's going to be on the program. He's going to be on next week as well. But the first one came from Josh. He's 48, runs a business in Elkhart. He says, what's the best way to run the finances for my small business? Is there a process that you guys follow? I, there's a couple thoughts that I have. But first, I mean, there's several different accounting softwares out there, but we're I mean, we use QuickBooks, yeah. right? QuickBooks Online even. Yeah, right? for small businesses, that's what we run most of our small business accounting on is QuickBooks Online is what we prefer these days. Um, it makes it super easy just to communicate back and forth with the account accountant and with the business owner. Uh, you can hop in and, you know, you can be looking at your financial statements on your phone, on an app, you know, and get real-time stuff. You can download and connect all your bank accounts and credit card accounts and stuff to the, the app and it really helps simplify the, you know, record keeping process. Um, so yeah, as far as a process, you know, obviously we could go into a bunch of stuff on the, you know, how you do run the finances for a small business, but, um, yeah, I mean, run it like your, your household or, or hopefully better than your household yeah. <laughs> uh, for most people, but, uh, you know, use a budget, you know, actually monitor your income and expenses, you know, mm -hmm. set up, you know, you need to, Get your favorite reports that tell you the snapshot of what the business is doing and how it's doing. Look at the financial health of the business, and you know, pay attention of, to what's going on. Uh, that's yeah. We we have our favorite reports. I don't know if you're going to go into. I, these. I was, you know, yeah. I, I'm I'm sitting here looking. We're half of the group that on a monthly basis reviews the financial results, the business results of Corhorn Financial Group is here in this room. We we have our key leaders within the organization. And every month, it is scheduled. It it has to be an important part of the rhythms of your business to sit down and review how are you doing financially. It's not just making sure you don't run out of cash, right? right. It's also making sure that your operations are profitable. Are, are there places where um, there's inefficiencies that need to be wrung out of the business to enhance your profit? When you are profitable, how do you make sure you're not falling behind on taxes? At least on a quarterly basis, you need to be reviewing a a projection of your tax picture. We'll we'll probably talk about that next week on, on next week's show. But um, to to me, it's also about making sure that you have proper financial controls in place. Is it very clear to everyone in the organization who is responsible for for watching certain metrics within the organization? Do you have audits that take place uh, to make sure that credit card statements are, are tracked properly, that all distributions that leave the business are accounted for. The, the money's going where you, you believe it to be, especially if you are the entrepreneur who started the business and you love making widgets, you love the, the, the function of the business, you may or may not really get all that excited about getting into the financial side. But it's important periodically to just pause and make sure you're giving attention to these details. We have, uh, we're not going to go into it today, but but Josh, it's a great question. I, I think it's for a future show. We've got sort of our secret sauce of favorite reports. I mean, there's, in, into any business, I would say, on a monthly basis, you need to review this report, this report, this report. I mean, it's a recipe. And I tell you, it gives you the clarity that you need. And we'll probably hit that on an upcoming show. So great question, Josh. I hope that was helpful. We've got another one about can you withhold taxes here on your Social Security? So that and more coming up here on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. 
This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. The Wise Money Show is brought to you by the attorneys at South Bank Legal, First State Bank, Diane Bennett and the Inspired Homes Team, and Bethel University Adult and Graduate Studies. Thank you so much for being with us today. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. My name is Mike Bernard. Here with me in the KFG Studios, special guest CPA Ryan Fair and Joshua Gregory. If you've missed anything and enjoy listening to podcasts while you're raking leaves or, gosh, pretty soon shoveling snow, uh, you can find every episode of The Wise Money Show wherever you listen to podcasts, whether that's iTunes, Google Play, whatever. Just search The Wise Money Show, subscribe to it, and I'd even ask you to rate the show, list any comments as well. That helps other people find this content. Appreciate that. All right, we're into listener questions here. We've got a great question from Roger. He's 67 from South Bend, and this is a very common question, and it's sort of rooted in this thing that's unclear about Social Security. Here's what Roger asked. Can I have taxes withheld from my Social Security? Good news, Roger, you can. So, so Bad s- news, Roger? Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, bad not news easy. Is, it's, well, I say the bad news is your Social Security is taxable, but no. Um, it may be. Maybe, right? yeah. So Social Security may be taxable on the federal level, and so they do have options in place for you to withhold federal income taxes from your Social Security payments each month. Uh, The state side, Social Security is not taxable for Indiana and Michigan, Mm -hmm. and and so they don't have an option of withholding it for state income taxes, but you can withhold federal income tax. The question of whether it is taxable. Yeah, that's, you can do a whole yeah. show on it. You're, you're exactly <laughs> right. It's it's kind of a convoluted calculation that goes on your tax return. Yep. Not everybody pays tax on their Social Security. Correct. Not everybody even has to count the Social Security on their tax return. Right. So, uh, you know, you have to know whether or not you're falling into the camp where Social Security is countable and, yes, it is causing more tax. And then the question becomes, well, how do I pay the tax? And this idea of withholding money from the Social Security check, just like, you know, back when you were receiving a a paycheck, your employer pulled money right off the top for you. It was handy. It was convenient. And a a lot of people really hate the idea of having to send in payments on their own on a quarterly basis. It's annoying. They're, They're not evenly spaced throughout the year. It's kind of complicated. And so the thought of having money withheld from Social Security seems like a wonderful convenience. Here's the catch, though. They really are are not very flexible in how you withhold. There's only four percentages that you can choose from. You can have 7% withheld, 10%, 12 or 22 Maybe none of those are the exact amount that you should have withheld, though. So you're probably having a little too much or a little too little, um, and instead, maybe paying quarterly estimates are your way of getting more precise in your planning. So it, it centers around your plan, but, it, but so just take this with a grain of salt. I don't like having taxes withheld from Social Security. I, yeah. And I, I think a lot of people um, draw Social Security early. I mean, it's just it seems like such a permanent thing, and it seems like um, it's so difficult to change and yet your tax picture changes all the time. And so I've seen a lot of people where they're withholding social, they're withholding tax on their social security because at one point it was taxable and now it's not. 
and because they're withholding taxes, that means less take home. So they're drawing more out of another account that's really unnecessary. Mm-hmm. And yep. it could, drawing more out of that other account could actually be causing your social security to be taxable. That's right. So I'd rather do some planning. And then if maybe it's going to be taxable for a couple of years, let's figure out a different way to manage that tax instead of setting up withholding. So it. the summary of this answer for Roger is, yes, you can have taxes withheld. Yep. The The next question is, should you? And that depends on your, your particular situation, Roger. Yep. All right. Okay. Next question comes from Ryan. I like that name. Uh, 41 from Granger. Thanks for submitting this question. I'm curious what your guys' answer is. He's in the 24% tax bracket and is wondering about whether he should contribute pre-tax or Roth Hmm. within his 401k. 24% tax bracket. Is that pre-tax or Roth? Do you have an opinion? Not a strong one. I can argue it either way. Okay. (laughs) So I I can share how I answer it most often. Okay. Um, You know, the the 24% tax bracket... You're kind of moving up the food chain amongst all the tax projection or the tax brackets, rather. They start at 10%, then you go to 12, 22, and now if you're in the fourth bracket, you're uh, in Ryan's bracket at 24%. That's by today's standards a high tax bracket or higher. Right. You know, certainly jumping from 12 to 22 is a leap, right? Yep. Um, but the, the question is ultimately, Ryan, where are you? Uh, in today's tax brackets compared to where you think you'll be when you get to retirement, you're starting to draw off of them. Do you believe that you could be in a much lower income situation or are the good times going to keep on rolling and you actually believe you're going to have high income in retirement and therefore maybe maybe that future tax bracket's not better than the one you're in right now? It really just depends on your situation. And I have I have advised clients to um, use Roth when they're in a, a higher tax bracket like this because we believe their tax picture is going to be less favorable in the future. Right. And an example of that might be if you're married, Ryan, and there was some reason to believe that uh, you may be single early in retirement. I've, I've known clients, unfortunately, who have diagnoses that would say, I'm probably not making it to retirement and my spouse may be single in retirement. If that's the case, it's a totally different tax picture. And so maybe the future isn't better than today, and that influences whether you use traditional or Roth. Uh, how, how, do you, how do you apply today's tax brackets with today's national debt to this? Is that even considered? I, I, I think so, is, yeah. yeah. How would you apply it, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, if you look at our, our current tax rates, Josh just explained, ooh, you're in the 24% tax bracket. That's the fourth, you know, fourth from the bottom. Yeah, fourth tier. Yeah, yeah fourth tier. Um, historically, though, right now we're in the some of the lowest tax brackets ever. In I mean, history. I just shared this at our, our retirement course recently. I, I was reminding people that at the beginning of my career, which – uh, you know, it's been a while, I guess. I mean, Nineteen time. years ago, so it's yeah, it's uh, it's going back a little ways. But I remember at the beginning of my career, you started in the fifteen percent tax bracket and quickly jumped to the twenty eight percent bracket. Right. It's not that long ago, but by historical standards, today's rates are low compared right. to what 
many of you have lived through and, and paid taxes in in the past. And then back to the national debt situation that Mike mentioned, uh, that's not going away anytime soon, especially the rates that we're spending. And the place that the government gets money is through taxes. They raise taxes. Yeah. So what do you think they're going to be down the road? So. One one of the I, I I'll just share one of the reasons why I came to work at KFG right after college was because of the two people on the air Ryan and Ryan and Josh and their character but then also just their their curiosity and sense of wonder about how this stuff works and Ryan you probably don't remember this but early in your career when you were really first starting to transition taxes you had up in your office a list of all the taxes in 1950 yeah and then a list of all the taxes today right 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 and which list was longer uh today yeah by significantly and so raising taxes is not popular but getting elected is a popularity contest so how do you raise taxes and still be popular you create new taxes and the roth for now sort of helps evade some of these new taxes. And so to me, the 24% tax bracket is low. Yeah. And so if if I go back to the first thing Josh said, I completely agree that if you're uniquely in this 24% tax bracket and you, you're pretty confident it's going to be lower in the future, then maybe not. Maybe you consider doing pre-tax. Um, and that's based on your overall financial plan. But if you're just, if, hey, if this is the circumstance you're in and you're saving and it's like, well, I don't think it really gets any better from here from a tax standpoint, I would do the Roth and I, I wouldn't even feel bad about it. Yeah. Unless there's one other thing, unless you're on the cusp of getting some deductions or tax credits and you need to make your adjusted gross income a little bit lower. Yep. Mm-hmm. So there again, not every answer it is well it depends but it really does it really does depend on your overall comprehensive financial plan it's why your financial plan has to involve the input of your CPA right. and your certified financial planner working together tax planning is one of the most important components of your planning that's right and speaking of Ryan Farrell will be back with us next week we're talking about tax planning and our favorite tax planning strategies of this year but that's all the time we have for today on behalf of Ryan Fair Josh Gregory myself and all of us at KFG have a great weekend we'll see you next Saturday for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group Securities offered through Silver Oak Securities, member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through KFG Wealth Management, LLC. Doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC and Silver Oak Securities Incorporated companies are unaffiliated.